Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Jeremy Sonier, writer, director of Green Room. I'm Anton Yelchin. I'm one of the actors in it. You're listening to Adjust Your Tracking. Tracking Podcast. In the industry, we call them cigarette burns. That's the cue for a changeover. He flips the projectors, movie keeps right on going, and nobody in the audience has any idea. Hello and welcome to Adjust Your Tracking. I'm Eric McClanahan. I'm Joe Von Hoppen. Joe, I'm hearing birds chirping on your end. I mean, I feel like I'm in the opening of, like, La Samurai or something like that. Those motherfuckers never shut up, so I guess I, I start to forget that they're there. Oh, nice. They're just your calming, like, ever-present sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, you know, California's got a lot of loud-ass birds just always talking about themselves. You know what else there is in L.A. is movies to be seen. And you, didn't you have a recent, uh, pretty good experience at the theater recently? Yeah, at the... Uh... The Egyptian Theater, the American Cinematheque, they had a triple feature of RoboCop, Terminator, and Rotor, which was uh, a ripoff of both that I was familiar with the cover art but had never seen. I still haven't seen it because I can't stick around for three movies. I mean, come on. Like, there's there's lives to be lived. <laughs> so, so marathons are, are tough to come by. But the starting film was RoboCop, and that's one that we've – I feel like you and I have spent some time discussing like at length yes and paul verhoeven you know like overall but like always seeing it on the big screen just like reinforces what you love about it even more and seeing that movie on the big screen which i had never done before i'd never seen it you know let alone on a 35 millimeter print and in that first like leg of the movie where uh you know you're you're introduced to all the characters and especially the villains and there's that first scene where the you know where Peter Weller is basically blown apart by the villains. Poor like, Peter Weller. Oh. Yeah, but there's just like there's there's like something gleeful about the introduction of the villains. There's something so heightened and over the top about their performances mm. that like you're 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 not charmed by them, but you're like you're you're so you're so swept up in their their menace, you know? Yes. And then the movie takes just like a hard right and it's just like, well, here's here's what you're in store for. And it stops you like cold when they just savagely just blow him apart. And like that that treatment of violence in like 1987 even was just so like revelatory, it, it seemed like, you know, and I didn't see it until it was like out on video. Mm. But um, it just you could feel the sort of like shockwaves of it about that sort of ultra violence and about how it sort of felt how the future needs to feel, which is that it's like speeding up and intriguing, but like just out of control enough that you need to give yourself pause to be like, Whoa, uh, this is what this means. And like (laughs) seeing such like savagery on display. So it's just like, just having that, like, you know, that, that door reopened was was a real upsetting treat, but um, it was like the same weekend that uh, hardcore Henry came out 
which sort of made uh, made you know waves at festivals that we pay attention to, though we don't necessarily attend, like Fantastic <laughs> Fest and the Toronto International Film Festival. And it was this movie that was conceived as like the first entirely first person uh, action movie. Mm-hmm. It was like Enter the Void, but as a run, Lola run type action movie. Mm-hmm. And so the footage that they leaked of it to try to like raise funds to finish it was like, you know, it was super entertaining. And so just to see like where this movie was going to go, I was, I was really interested And they, the distributor, can you repeat the distributor's name? I think it's STX. STX. That's, yeah, that's right. Entertainment. And yep. It's like the Hong brothers or something like that. And mm-hmm. they took like a, a big chance and we're just like, we're going to open this huge, this deserves to be big. Like with this deserves the, the large scale treatment. Everybody's going to go see this. Nope. Not, <laughs> not a lot of people want to go see it. So no, no. And just seeing like it's I mean, it's a it's a very immersive and psychotic experience. And I thought that like every problem I have with movies being maximal and just like not allowing any room for any genuine tension to develop, all of my problems with movies nowadays just being like all all apex with nothing in between, no no building, just crescendo. Like this, that's this movie, like, but it's done to such a bug eyed extreme that it it takes on some other quality, some quality of just like alternate universe-ness that I was just like, oh, this is kind of, this is really impressively berserk. Like Mm -hmm. I can't, like it's taking just all of these things, but at the same time, like it's taking extreme, like extreme, like insane violence and it's pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And there's something impressive about that. But as my friend said, as we were like leaving the theater, he's like, wow, that was, that was really impressive. I don't think it did anything good for me spiritually, though. <laughs> and he's not a spiritual person. He's like, I think this is just bad for me. And I was like, yeah, but I liked it. But I think it's bad for me. Mm. And so just thinking about how, how do we approach, you know, violence is a huge part of motion pictures, you know, and it's like, it's something that we're, I think, fascinated by as like just creatures, like trying to process like what it means and what, what, you know, like what it does to our, our biology and stuff like that. And sometimes it's just strictly entertainment. And in the case of Hardcore Henry, it it takes an experiment and makes something sort of dizzyingly entertaining about it, but it pushes it to its absolute breaking point. And then you like, once you get out of it, you're like, but do you ever want to see that go any further? You know? Yeah. And so it's like, so what yeah. choice do people have in order to test limits, but to sort of backtrack, retrace steps, and find out what hasn't been done with what works? Hmm. And I feel like that's maybe what we're going to get in, get into with the, the meat of this podcast, was, which is our discussion of Jeremy Saunier's new film, Green Room. And it's it's violent. All right, I can get you guys a solid gig. Matinee tomorrow, doors at one, you guys are on a three. Gentlemen, you're trapped. Things have gone south, it won't end well. You can't keep us here, man. You gotta let us go. We're not keeping you, you're just staying. 
shoot who is left. It stirred something in me so primal, basically, mm. in the midst of watching it, that I couldn't sleep last night. Oh, that's fantastic. I was so thoroughly just, like, immersed in the movie and so just, like, bowled over by it that, like, yeah, I, like, I wasn't, I wasn't out of the movie then, last night, trying to sleep, and I may not still be a day later. Right, right. Well, that, I think what you're saying is this movie is so good at what it sets out to do, and that is be a an intense... Uh, quasi war movie, but it's I would you know it's like a horror action movie. I guess yeah. could, is a fair way to call it. But it's so good at it, uh, so simplified and stripped down, but so effective that some people won't like it. Will reject probably just the experience. They might see the trailer and be like, "Wow, that looks too intense." I've had people yeah. say that to me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. As the yeah, as they've seen the trailer, and I'm like, "Fair enough," but we have to admit that's the movie being a really good movie it's it's doing a great jeremy solnier has done a great job at accomplishing the type of movie he wanted to set he set out to make and it's yeah it's so interesting in that way that this feels like the movie he would have made before blue ruin which was you know his breakout from a few years back right uh, a favorite of both of ours uh we talked about that film on the podcast but it's interesting that like he would almost um, regress in some people's eyes. I could see critics seeing this as a regression for him as a filmmaker instead of maybe because it's so lean, it's so much simpler than yeah. uh, the, the sort of thematic ambition that's at play in Blue Ruin. But I actually think that there's stuff like that to chew on with this movie when you dig into it. But, you know, beyond that, like just, yeah, cards on the table, like this is such a great immersive visceral like cinematic experience like you have to go see this in a theater with people there and um i'm curious was it was it um well attended and and what was it like for you seeing it in that sort of crowded theatrical experience um well to be honest it was like it was half full Mm. and there was a startling abundance of dudes um (laughs) i think one woman maybe was in the audience (laughs) And uh, that that was that was a bummer for me because like I like a dynamic sort of like d- difference in audience member. You well, know? yeah, and this but, isn't a dude movie necessarily. Maybe some might think that. I on think the it's aggression might be associated with mm, dudes. I sure, think that like sure. from what I've heard, like women love it as much as men. But I think like, I would there's think so yeah there's there is an aggression to it that might seem on surface level more appealing to to masculine people than. It's, others but like it's 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 penis heavy <laughs> it's dick heavy it's centric for sure not yeah. actually not really well but, that's um, the thing on the surface it might see that way but i think there i think there's more to it than that i'm with you exactly but it, it's interesting that you you mentioned the sort of order of the films he made because like blue ruin is a sort of it starts much quieter much more contemplative and there's something a little more like ponderous about the film yes and then I think that leaves room to superimpose like some some different like you know some different analysis on it some like some textual sort of like considerations about it like oh is this about like the state of America and the cycle of violence and how it's unbreakable and and so like this one just like this one you can consider it like there's less less substance maybe like you can argue that i'm not saying that that's true at all but because it's so lean because it's so minimalist in its focus like you i think that argument could be made but you're not going to be making it until the movie's over because it never lets you out of its grip and so like it's so skillful that until you're out of the sort of like 
bear trap grip it has on you. Yeah. Like you're not going to be thinking like, you know, you know what they could have done more of? Cause like <laughs> yeah. you're trapped in the movie with these characters. Like we're our entry point into the film itself is following this band on tour. Uh, the, the ain't rights. It's a great a name, by the way. Of, hmm? Great name for a punk band. It's true. Like the last good punk name after <laughs> millions of dead cops. <laughs> yes. Um, but we were following them as they're on tour and they take a, uh, a gig that's like sort of out of the way of their, their route of their tour, which they're scraping to get by on. Like they're, they're having to siphon gas in order to, to, to get fuel for their tour van. Like, so they're, they're struggling moment to moment. And this like gig turns to, turns out to like sort of fall, fall apart. And so they have to do a makeup gig. So the, the person that they're initially set up their, unsuccessful show with kind of sets them up with the show out of nowhere. And so where they land up is, uh, is at a skinhead compound where things go awry from there. And I saw this with, with a friend of mine who knew absolutely nothing about the movie. Oh, great. He he loved blue ruin Mm -hmm. and was excited. And he was like, I know nothing about it. I refuse to watch a trailer. Knew nothing. Knew, didn't know it was about a band. Didn't know anything about it. Knew no one that was in it. Maybe he knew that Aaliyah Shawcat was in it as one of the band members. Don't know. But like most of all, he was just like totally fresh eyes going into it. And I like I and I think that's that's incredible. And maybe that's where we should sort of things go awry, the band gets trapped, have to fight their way out. And like beyond that, like I think if people aren't already predisposed to going to it and know only only about it through us discussing it, I don't know that the likelihood of that is very high. But <laughs> I go in completely fresh. Yeah. Because like this movie it, it is completely unique. Like you can't argue it's a horror movie, it's an action movie, it's a thriller, but it uses these characters and this world that's so authentically established. Like yeah. you you see them loading into their show. And it's just like that's what it looks like. That's what a sh- a band loading into a concert space that's what it looks like. That's those are the types of people. There's the guy who's running the PA. Like everything feels it's like it just has such lived-in authenticity to it. And Macon Blair, who was the main character from Blue Ruin, the minute he comes on screen, it was just like, fuck, I love this. Like, I love this guy and his presence. Like, he has such a world-weary, sad dog, like, sort of expression to him that yeah. just, like, tells a story without him doing anything at all. And it's just like, once he came on screen, like, as soon as the band gets to what turns out to be uh, skinhead compound. It was just like, oh, this guy's here. Thank God. Like, well, and Macon Blair, we should say, like, uh, in the interview that I just had on the playlist podcast with with Jeremy Saulnier and this one of the stars of this movie, Anton Yelchin, uh, I asked Jeremy a little bit, and he talked about it, just what he knew briefly. But Macon Blair is directing a movie with Elijah Wood in Oregon right now. So, like, super. It's, it's very easy to mistake Anton Yelchin for um, Elijah Wood occasionally have <laughs> those baby faces. This is just, true. Oh, wait, oh, 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 no, no, no. That's Anton. Okay. 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 <laughs> this is true. Very easily uh, mistakable, but I, uh, but yeah, they were both in Oregon at the, at the same time. Uh, but yeah. Um, so super cool. Making Blair is like making headway. Uh, he's, he's becoming a filmmaker as well. Like very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and just their, their relationship, Jeremy Saunier and Macon Blair, just the fact that he, he knew Macon was going to be able to pull off the performance required for Blue Ruin to be as as successful as it was. Mm-hmm. Like their 
their sort of their attachment to each other made that movie work. And like Jeremy's sort of investment in this scene and the sort of hardcore punk scene that uh, gives it such a sense of authenticity and urgency and a, in a real place. Mm-hmm. And so that's where like he reapproaches suspense through character struggle through character because he like, he goes back to like what works and what works is like investing in people in a plausible situation and then like let setting those things free and then taking it and pushing it to these like extremes and these new territories of like of brutality and intensity that like that we haven't seen before. And that's where the thresholds get crossed. And like he takes things that we've become numb and accustomed to. Like we've seen conflict, we've seen violence, you know, like we've seen it so much that we it starts to take on like a kind of autopilot function where you're just like, okay, here's Nip. And this is where they magically know how to do combat, even though like they're just an average everyday person in the beginning. No, they don't do that. He takes it, it blew ruin. He did it like, you know, amazingly where it's like you put violence in the hands of someone who's incapable of dispensing it with any, you know, sort of finesse, like right. you, someone clumsy, someone like most people yeah. who just can't take on like all that like violence requires and then you see you see the true toll it takes you see the consequence and then once you take it into a realm of reality where it's like blue ruin is a is a very darkly humorous movie and it's not you know i mean it's 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 focus isn't to be a darden brothers sort of account of reality (laughs) but it does take it into a realm of reality that it it hasn't been in films like for a long time Right. And then that opens up a whole new terrain of possibility, of tension, of like, of horror. Because it's just like, well, this is what it would be like if you were trying to fight off a massive person and you are who you are. You don't know how to fight and you're trying to like fend yourself. And like, it's a fucking nightmare, which is what <laughs> one of the characters says towards the end of the film. He's yeah. Like, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. And like, it absolutely is. And it's one so <clears throat> thorough and so immersive and so beautifully like, you know, captured that, like, I, 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 for, you know, uh, in a, in a very masochistic way, I want to go back. Yes. I, I can tell you, man, this movie plays beautifully on a second viewing. Like, and I think that's, um, one of many reasons it separates itself from something like Hardcore Henry, which, um, although I can admit to having a certain degree of fun with it and, uh, also being impressed by its technical, leap wizardry. forward yeah wizardry you know it, it's technical like the just the willingness the ambition mm-hmm. at least in that realm for that movie to push what it does yeah um yeah i mean i can appreciate that but i know the what end of the spectrum i tend to enjoy much more and it's the green room journey saulnier which kind of is becoming and i think you've done a great job of articulating that like it's he's kind of he's kind of creating his own niche for how he deals with this sort of level of uh, exploitation cinema or, or dealing with violence in the way that he does as a sort of genre filmmaker. And I think it's, it it gets to why people are uh, that there's this whole sub genre of horror movies that we we've talked about on the podcast, even recently with something like the witch, the art house horror sub genre. Like there's a reason people are hungry and kind of interested and, might even be overreaching to lump these movies that, you know, might just coincidentally be coming out at the same time. But we want to, we want to lump them into these categories or it's people get excited because it feels different. It feels like 
Um, and in the case of how Saulnier treats his movie Green Room, like it feels, it feels fresh, but also like uh, it's like I guess that's enough. It's it's a fresh fresh approach to a, a genre movie that doesn't feel tired or numbing, you know. Yeah. And and a hardcore Henry for me does feel numbing after a while. So I know well, the I movie. I think that's yeah. just the inevitable conclusion: is that it, it pushes and pushes and becomes so like just like athletically excessive that it's just like, yeah, of course, like you have to shut down eventually because you're just like, all right, I've seen. And like, it does a, a good job of jolting you at points in hardcore Henry. We're like, Oh Jesus. Oh my, what the fuck? Like just m- mountains of like human beings throwing themselves at the main character whose point of view you're looking at and just watching him kind of break them apart and dispense of them. It's just like, that's, it does, it is impressive. But then eventually it's just like, well, this is meaningless. And this is this is its own kind of nightmare, you know, mm. where you can't where it's just this like incessant menace that won't let you go. And you're just like punching and shooting and clawing and stabbing your way out. You could be describing either movie like yeah, at this point. You could. You really could. And I think that's so interesting because Hardcore Henry is unfortunately made by someone who uh wants to excel and push technology forward. Yeah. But let's just say... Push a gimmick forward. Push a gimmick forward, yeah. Right, right. And And honestly, Gaspar Noé has done elements of that, you could argue. But, like, you know, what... what, I do see a difference in this filmmaker. No, absolutely. What Jeremy Sonnier does with, like, his films so far, reapproaching things that we have become used to Mm. and waking them back up in this like in this in- incredibly visceral way and similar to Gaspar Noe, the primal kind of like uh, the, our primal wiring, you know, that's like, that's sort of manipulated by movie going by suspense and films. Um, like there's, there's something about it to where like, you know, it's just giving it a test run when you're watching a suspenseful movie. You're like, Oh, it's like, Oh my, my reflexes are working, <laughs> but there's a certain level of bombardment of intensity that like a movie like irreversible once it accesses it like the once it goes past certain layers of awareness in your biology where you're just like i know this is a movie i know i'm watching a movie i know this isn't happening to me but like your mind could be aware of that but if like after a certain level of intensity your body isn't sure and i think that's what like got woke up in me in the Mm. in the movie last night was this like primal wiring of like fight or flight because it's so convincingly established in this movie. Right. It woke something up, you know, and it's like, that's one thing that like, you know, movies are constantly confronting their own inability to, to like keep an audience engaged because we are getting so much more distracted. We're so much more distractible Mm -hmm. and like, and for something to, to like startle you and to, overwhelm you and like haunt you and affect you like it it takes like new approaches and sometimes those new approaches come with like a classic form of like storytelling with establishing characters the way green room like beautifully does Mm -hmm. everybody in the band is perfectly beautifully established every one of the villainous characters is humanly kind of like developed where you're just like Oh, these are people who are struggling just as much as the people we're rooting for. They're called cartridges. The bullet is a part that enters your brain if you keep talking shit. And this gun only has five cartridges. 
not six. Because they're big as fuck and only five fit the cylinder. So please, shut the fuck up and don't test me. You're making it worse. We sit and we wait. And we die? Not if you sit and you wait. You may not be on their side, but you see that they have like weird, grim motivations and they're not just bug-eyed you know, like the the villain in Hardcore Henry is just like he's an operatic extreme and you don't know what's motivating him. And it kind of doesn't matter, you know, because right. you're just sort of like that guy's hilarious. I have no investment in him as a genuine danger or threat because this movie is so berserk that I can't actually have a dramatic investment in it. <laughs> so but like with Green Room, like you're seeing all of these like human beings and mm-hmm. you see the weight on them and you see you feel the genuine humor like when they're trying to like find relief in this situation and it's like, yeah, it's a really like, it's interesting seeing what genre films are, are like, they're sort of reinventing themselves as like high art, like yes. in the last few years, yes. you know, like with a movie like Fury Road, which again, I don't like I'm not on board with, and I'm sure anyone who's listened to this podcast routinely is sick of me saying <laughs> as a disclaimer, but like, that's a, that's a genre movie. That's like a, that's that would be argued, you know, and in its original form, Mad Max, the original Mad Max, that's a that's an exploitation film. Yes. And so seeing these things like elevate themselves and sophisticate themselves to be high art is just like it's it's really beautiful, especially with a film like Green Room. Right. Because I think there's a really definite what I've never you know made a film, but I suspect it's quite a difficult balance to pull off really making a true, true down and dirty exploitation movie that Green Room is, but it is raised to a level of high art, like, and not in the way that someone like Quentin Tarantino tries to do with his sort of grindhouse obsessions that he resuscitates this, this, and it just feeds more to like how maybe it's harder for me to describe, but what Saulnier does that is different and what, what makes him so interesting and fascinating as a filmmaker, because he's giving us, things that can remind us of like, Oh man, when you just make a movie so viscerally strong and immersive like this, like how it's a jolt and it, it can awaken something in you because it's not common, especially today. And, um, it's also just something that every time it's done well, it's like, uh, it's a jolt of excitement at the same time. It will keep you up. Like for a movie to have that power is just, it's just, it's like, it's so cool. And, um, I also love the idea, and you kind of hinted at that, that in this movie, the villains aren't just... like Patrick Stewart is playing completely excitingly against type in this movie. He's the head of this neo-Nazi gang. And systematically sort of like, you know, takes the band apart in what happens for the rest of the movie. Like, he, he follows it like he's a, you know, a general going to battle. But I love how as you get into what could also be described as video game like levels. You know, Hardcore Henry is a movie that is a video game, a movie trying to be a video game much more, much more clearly. And yeah, obviously, but green room has sort of video game esque levels of certain people are sent in to, to the battlefield, if you want to call it. And in these stages and, 
Um, but what I love is in those moments, you get these character beats, even on that villainous side where it's like, some of them are more scared than our heroes, you know, right. than, the, than the people were on the side. And it's it ideology. And in a way it happens with even the dog characters in this movie, <laughs> the, the dogs are trained, you know, like, let's look at the dogs. They're trained in this movie to be attack dogs and they're used yeah. in green room in a horrific way. But there's a moment where like once they're affected, they there's a really clever use of how they keep the dogs at bay. I'll just leave it at that in the movie, but you kind of strip away what's been trained in these dogs or in these uh, skinhead soldiers. You strip that away and we're all just people that are really freaking scared in a situation like that. Like that is so awesome. And it says a lot about the film. It, it's, it makes it deeper while also being like, Holy shit, this is so relatable and so good at the same time. Well, yeah, it takes it takes like that that scene that I was describing at Robocop where the the villains like you're so you're kind of their menace is almost sort of like intoxicatingly fun. Right. right. And then it takes a takes that turn and you're just like, oh, this is what I'm signing up for. It takes like that dynamic, but it it allows the actual villainous characters who are menacing are, are sort of like our leads and our protagonists and it gives them a depth and a humanity immediately. Like there's there's something threatening about most of the people who wind up being villainous characters in this, like right off the bat. In Green Room, yeah. In Green Room, yeah. But they're they're still given like a, a humanity and like and they and they're worthy of sympathy because I think Jeremy Sonier understands that like giving that dynamic to these characters complicates the situation and only amplifies the tension right making it like that dynamic and that sort of confused like only escalates everything and it only heightens it and makes it more thrilling you know because it's just like if you're if you can write off each character as like oh that person is only driven by some sort of superhuman malice and like they're they've got a sadism that's like not of this world. And it's just like, you can't really relate to it, you know, in any way. Instead, he takes these characters that are doing horrible things and gives them agency and gives them a sort of story. And the, the person that's training the dogs, you know, in this that you were describing, like he loves, he loves his dogs. And yeah, like, that's yeah. so, that's like weirdly sweet. And you're just like, Oh, that's so like, he cares about his dogs so much. He doesn't want them to get hurt. And it's just like that's such an interesting, complicated dynamic to throw in the middle of this like struggle that you're like you're you're sort of like viscerally engaged with. You're like, oh fuck, now I have to think about that guy who I just should be able to categorize as like that that guy's a bad guy, right? Right. Like, Did you recognize who that actor was, by the way? What's that? Did you? Sorry, sorry to cut. Did you recognize who that actor is? The guy in Green Room who loved, who's the sort of dog guy. Yeah, he looked familiar, but I didn't place who he was. So I, I was, it was. It was just driving me nuts the entire time I saw it, uh, uh, the second time especially. So I looked it up. Kai, Kai Lennox is the actor's name. It's the guy from Boogie Nights that went to school with Roller Girl. And he, oh, the guy and, who gets stomped yep, by skate eventually. By, exactly, dude. He They pick him up in the limo, man. And it's that actor. But um, So just sort of a random interesting side note. But like, I love how Jeremy Saulnier is giving actors like that, like, meaty roles like actually things to do and that i I love that that character as well like how interesting that is um that that character who's who's a bad guy but uh it does emote i was wondering how you were gonna handle that i kind of gave you a warning of 
Um, cause you know, we're both dog lovers, but you are someone that I know is you, you're kind of fed up with all these movies that like use dogs as a sort of literal punching right. bag sometimes. And, and you find them in freaking world cinema, but even like weird, like horror movies a lot of the time. And I, I had to let you know that like, there's an interesting angle with the dogs, even in this horror movie in green yeah. room. And I, I, yeah, I think that adds, that's just another argument for like what Solnier does that is like incredibly different, even though it might seem the same when you're watching a two minute trailer of green room, you might think this is torture porn. I've had people ask me is like, is that movie like a torture porn thing? And I was like, no, yeah, I guess no, I can no, see no. how you can get that out of it. Cause mm-hmm. it's got that sort of like sickly, uh, like sallow look to it. Cause it's, you know, it's set deep into the Oregon woods. Um, mm-hmm. and there, there's, there's something kind of like algae ish about the look of it, you know? Yeah. It's all green room. There's something yeah. green, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's appropriate it's no fucking mystery. He chose the right but, state like, to shoot a movie called green room. <laughs> yeah. But I think that look is often associated with a sort of like, basement you know drippy kind of like miserableism and like and it's just at this point it's just like why are why would why is torture porn a sort of like an interesting or even confrontational genre or subgenre you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we've got that's one thing that we've gotten used to unfortunately and kind of tragically that it's just like oh we've gotten used to the the sort of in, intense misery of movies like that mm-hmm. and now it's just become this its own hamster wheel that it's like the people that like that like netflix says that if you like torture <laughs> porn you'll love you know whatever it is with someone some poor woman's pleading face on the cover of it <laughs> no doubt seriously but yeah it's it's not that and uh it like i mean we should also kind of give give kudos and applause to like the rest of the cast that we haven't mentioned that yes Anton Yelchin is outstanding in this. Mark Webber is also great. Joe Cole, who I recognize but didn't couldn't really place from what the toughest member of the group, who you're just is grateful. You're grateful as an audience member that someone capable and with like a little bit of like puff to their to their like machismo is like there. It's like oh somebody is there to handle business. He's great. I'm familiar um, with him from uh, what's the the net? It's a Netflix gang, gangster oh, Peaky Blinders. Yes, I never saw that. he's one of the brothers in Peaky Blinders. That's how I know him well. But yeah, I I just wanted to chime in that that character that Joel Cole plays is like one of the most. I love him in this movie because he's a character that you could like in in a lot of movies. If it's mishandled, he'd be like boringly like macho or boringly uh, able to take care of himself. But yet it's it feels realistic in this movie. It's like this guy can take care of himself, but only to a certain level, you know? Right, and absolutely. There, there is and a reality it, that comes into play. Where are we going? Yeah. Grab some shit, get ready to run. Here we go. Watch it! Very quickly, very like upsettingly, the movie lets you know that no one's safe. Yeah. Everything is like nothing sacred, and like it, it just like it terrifyingly like takes safety away from like your sense of predictability. You know, you're just like I know where this is going, and even though it's still preying on my nerves, like and still manipulating me in the way that like I I seek out, like I still know where this is going. Like Green Room d- d- doesn't it like like horrifyingly disorients you and does you, I really didn't know where it was going to go Me too. because, because mm-hmm. nothing is safe because all bets are off in this movie. 
like you were lost. You were as lost as the characters and you don't know where this sort of like, like dreadful trip is going to like wind up. And I, I just think that that's, that's such an accomplishment and to be in the hands of someone who is such so artfully redefining genre, you know, and, and then getting lost and not knowing where it's going to wind up is just like, it's, it's, it's a treat to use, to to use like a parental term, but it's a gift more, more than that, you know? Agreed, man. I mean, that's why we're, we're gushing about another movie right now. It's like a good time to be going to the movies right now. We've, we've been seeing a lot of good stuff and green room stands out from even the, the crowded pack of like cool movies that are out there right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like with hardcore Henry getting, you know, the sort of like big push and it sort of whimpered at the box office a little bit. Yeah. Green Room's getting a gradual kind of rollout opening, and it's it you know A two four is still it's a big boutique uh, distribution company, but it still is like pretty focused on what it's set out to do. Mm-hmm. But it treats these movies as like these are events you should go to these events, you know like yeah they do, and like I like I love that, and I only hope that they can find like more and more success so they can continue to do it. But do you wonder if a movie like this because it's so intense like finding a big audience. Do you think that's even in the cards for a film like this? I, I do actually, because I think when you get down to it, the, if an, there is enough people to make this, a this movie a hit for a two four, because I don't want to say the stakes are low, but um, the, you know, the budget was low. They picked it up. Uh, I think at, you know, at when it was doing the festival rounds last year, I think that this can easily do like what the witch did. And I think the beauty of something like green room and where it could even potentially like mildly cross over and do more than the witch. When I think the witch just recently, um, was, was, uh, past X machinas, a two four's most successful box office movies. So they're really coming into their own. They're getting Oscar recognition with their movies with stuff like room and Amy, but they're, they're achieving box office success. This distributor is, I think Green Room doesn't have the snatch and grab sort of trick the audience into seeing it aspect that something like The Witch does. I think yeah. Green Room is being some people might interpret the way it's being marketed as a straight up torture porny horror movie. It's not that, but what they're selling you is really not that different. It's just what they're selling you is a more visceral aspect of what actually is a very deep and more layered and thus a, just a a movie that really will follow through on what you are at least half imagining it is. And um, I think if enough people dig that, like movie people are and have been since they've been, this movie's been well-reviewed, you know, doing the rounds, Mm -hmm. you know, you and I really like it. If that continues with audiences, which I really think it can, it can be one of those like mild successes. I think it could be one of the indie successes this year. And thankfully, A24 is doing a sort of slower rollout, whereas Hardcore Henry, they tried to go for that. Let, let's just get it as much as we can. And it it had trouble crossing over. They didn't even bother really screening this movie for critics. Right. And, um, you know, it, it also is like the movies are different in that way. They're also different in like the exasperated sense I got with Hardcore Henry with the way it used technology to do effects and gore. Green Room can also remind you when you dole it out much uh, less and you use it sparingly, even though green room is an intensely violent movie. Yeah. The amount of, I don't know, do, you, do you, calling them money shots is kind of disgusting, but like, it's the thing that comes to mind with the sort of violent 
shots in both movies is like hardcore Henry. I was just desensitized and bored after 15 minutes. That's what, yeah. I mean, green like, room. Numbness is your only defense against like that sort of like onslaught. That right. Doesn't, doesn't tire. And you're just like, all right, like if, if this movie's not going to tire, I have to, because like <laughs> this ultimately, like my friend said, like, isn't good for us. Yeah. So. And not to be, you know, we don't need to be like, we're not like snooty, moralistic film. We're not trying to be all Gene Siskel on this episode. No. It's, it's just that it, it's it, hardcore Henry kind of pushed me to a certain threshold where I just kind of got bored. And yeah, agree. It's not really, this is not something that I, it's like hard to champion a movie like that, but green room pushes you past another threshold, but wakes you the fuck up. And uh, sensitizes you, challenges you, but also entertains you. And, um, you know, I just, I can't, uh, just can't be, it's like so impressive to me. Um, it's, it's a lot more rare, I think, than people realize. So yeah, it, yeah absolutely. It, if they do, I think, I think green room can be, can be a success. I really am like pulling for it. I think it could be, I'm really hoping. Wait, in, in, in us singing the praises of performances in the movie did we mention Aaliyah Shawkat and Imogen Poots I, I think you have to in this movie because there's an uh, a necessary dose of like femininity from them but the, it's not like they have to represent that in the movie it's just right. like Imogen Poots steals this movie actually yeah, so absolutely. I'm I'm glad you mentioned her she steals this movie yeah it's um that kind of like ensemble and watching uh Watching the characters, like you're describing with Joe Cole's character, could have easily, if it took a more conventional route, he would have been like a, just a boring archetype. But like watching these characters come to life and then like truly struggle, like it does recall all the great like ensembles trapped the way like Aliens. Mm-hmm. Aliens is like similar kind of siege movie mm-hmm. where you're like introduced to all these characters, get to love them very fast, and then like just watch, you know, like terrifyingly as they're threatened so like mercilessly right. you know and so it's just like watching you know like it there, there's something beautiful and mean about it and like yeah I, it's a nasty I, bit I, of I think business. you're right that this is so rare you know and like the fact that it, it's it's a type of movie that it's it's visceral impact is like you know like you, you can watch the trailer and just be like it does deliver all those things that it's ask it's telling you it's going to, but it does so in a way that like reorients you and resensitizes you and does wake you up. And like it, it's unfortunately more rare than it should be. On our last episode, episode 127, where we talked about everybody wants some for the most part, uh, the Richard Linklater movie, uh, which, you know, we both also heartily recommend. Uh, you, uh, in the second half of the show, Joe, you, you brought back our, uh, our favorite original segment here on AYT, which is hold up. And, um, you did a good job in that episode, uh, where we talked about La which, you know, gosh, again, masterpiece. So glad to rewatch that movie and talk about it. It's true. Also featuring skinheads. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Matthew Kasovitz, the director of that film dressed like some of the characters in green room. I think I said that on that episode. (laughs) Um, yes, absolutely. It's all connected. Everything's connected. But you you described how the this segment had sort of evolved from its original origins when you first created it. And um, I guess what I'm going to do with with as I announce here my my pick, which we'll dis- discuss in length on our next episode. Uh, I'm going to kind of bring us back. I'm going to re- I'm going to yeah. I'm going to regress us back to uh, yeah to the original origins of you know looking at a movie that uh, I like, but as it stands in the modern pop culture, uh, it's, 
it's not one it, it's more it might be seen as i could i could admit to maybe being embarrassed or that i like it's this maligned movie. a little bit it kind of is it is it's got a bad rep so i this is going to be an interesting one because i fear that revisiting this movie which i have not watched in a very long time um a movie from my youth it meant a lot to me salt in the theaters with my dad and my brother this is a big deal uh robin hood prince of thieves you know the man. oh man the kevin costner kevin reynolds directed um water world oh yeah they that, that came later of course that came yeah. later i'll definitely this has got to be better than water i don't we'll we'll find out because um yeah it's been a while but i remembered <clears throat> loving this movie as an early uh when it came out in the early 90s i think 1991 was a movie yeah. that i very very it's just one of those early theatrical experiences that is just frozen in my memory and i remembered loving this movie but then you get older and you kind of get away from it you don't keep up with the movie and i go back now that i'm you know obviously more uh, i read more about movies i've gotten older more mature i i look back and i'm like oh this movie even though i loved it as a kid when i saw it it wasn't really well respected like <laughs> it it had a it got a lot, not of great reviews and it's, it's, it is maligned as you said. So, um, it'll be interesting to revisit it. Like, what do you remember about this movie, Joe? Well, I remember seeing it in the theater as well when it came out that summer. And, um, there's just like a different experience going to see a movie as a kid where it's like, unless it was strikingly bad or it didn't deliver on what you assumed it was going to in, in some like, like just upsetting way, you know, like going to see, the last action hero in the theater and being like, what the fuck? Like, this isn't what I wanted. And like, just not just having it not deliver in any satisfying way whatsoever. Like that was a way for it to register as a bad movie as a kid. But like, otherwise they just, they all kind of like, you know, a lot of times if they weren't either great or terrible, they all kind of wash together. And I feel like Robin hood wasn't strikingly bad to me as a child. So I, I was just like, oh, that's pretty good. I like the Christian Slater getting the arrow through his hand. That was awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just like, I think at this point I've seen scenes here or there or like a trailer. Uh, There was a trailer uh, that was attached to a print of a Steven Seagal movie when I went to go see the Steven Seagal marathon and the, the like response the audience gave to Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, the trailer was not kind. Ooh. It was not nice. Ooh. They were very mean. And uh, well, it's going to be... be interesting to sort of like look at it with fresh eyes for a movie that I, I if at at worst I had ambivalence towards, but I remember liking it. Me too, man. I really remember liking it. Like this is a movie that meant so much to me when I was a kid that I had like the action figures. I had oh, the Morgan. Shit. Yeah, dude. I had the Morgan Freeman uh, Azim, I think is his character's name. I had his his action figure. I, I had that shit. And I also like Poor Morgan Freeman. I know they, they, guy, like, they he's built, just, he's popping up in that Ben Hur remake. And he's like <laughs> arguably the same person from Robin hood, Prince of thieves, where it's just like, you're the same, at least the same type. Jesus yeah, Christ. This is true. It's, it's true. He deserves better than this. I yeah. also remember loving the tree houses that they build in this movie. Like I like the of Ewoks, course. like the Ewoks and return of the Jedi. I wanted to live in these tree houses. So, um, I, I hope I hope that still, you know, maybe it's just going to give me a nice little the, nostalgic it, You tickle. hope it opens up that sense of wonder and that sense of, like, uh, belonging that you had 
Yeah, I want I want yeah. to feel that again. I do. You know, you know, it's spring. Nature is coming back. Things are growing. I want to I want to get back to it and live in the woods with uh, yeah. with Robin Start Hood. Start Kickstarter. <laughs> yes, to build a Robin Hood treehouse. So we'll see how this goes. It's going to be an interesting one. I, I'm you know, I don't want to presuppose, but I'm feeling that this is going to be another the beach situation where I'm like, oh, boy, I can't believe how much I don't like this movie now. <laughs> but I did at the time. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, shit, I'm excited now. Hold up. All right. So with that, let's wrap up episode 100, 128 of Adjust Your Tracking. Um, I love this, Joe. We're, 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 if we don't look out, we're going to become prolific with this rate we're going on. So a lot of good movies that, that has gotten us on mic. And uh, it's been fun to, to dive into this springtime again when, when the movies pick up for us. So let's just uh, let's keep the uh, let's keep the momentum going. And with that, people can, of course, find us at the playlist. Uh, it's part of the IndieWire blog network. You can. Um, subscribe to us on our SoundCloud account where it's uh, the Playlist Podcast uh, on iTunes as well. Uh, how else can people talk to us, Joe? Um, well, you can, um, on Twitter, <laughs> um, add Adjust Your Track. That's Plus right. on Facebook, which, yeah. you know, it's still, as much as you might be mad that your mom or grandma are on Facebook, we're on there. So just come come find us. Yeah. Yeah, well, bring, bring invite your mom too. Maybe your mom wants to see Green Room. Maybe your mom's yeah, hardcore. She'll get bored listening to our podcast, but you know, <laughs> like it, maybe it'll inspire her to go see a movie every now and again and forget that she's hot. That's what my mom does. And that's a win-win all around, if you ask me. So uh, you can you then can, she'll see the movie twice. <laughs> you can also email us uh, email us at adjustyourtracking at gmail And if you do any of those things, and hell, if you even um, convince someone, uh, you know, you tell someone about our show, spread the word, uh, rate or review our show on iTunes that's so helpful so if you want to do that help spread the word spread the AYT love um, you know who else does that is our super producer Drew Walner um, gotta thank him as usual for helping true. everything out yeah as he does true that's all we should say true 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 thank thanks you, yeah thanks for the help behind the scenes man um, and uh, yeah uh, you know we, we, we thank all of you for listening but you know first foremost and last here on the episode I always gotta thank you Joe so thanks for talking with me today Thanks, Eric.